Hello, brothers and sisters around the world. It is an absolute privilege to be able to share with you some of what I've been learning over the years when it comes to the whole uh, idea of men and women in Islam. Now, we're going to focus uh, in the next few series of, on a lot of issues to do with women, but what I, I want to make a, a point at the very beginning. When you look at a position of woman in a particular religion, it has as much impact on the position of a man in that religion as it does on the woman. It has as much impact on the opinions and the mindset and the ideas and so on of men in that religion as it does of the woman. And so as I approach this whole important topic of women in Islam, always think of yourself as well as how does that impact a man? How does that make a man think of woman or a man think of himself? Now before I go any further, let me just introduce myself. My name is Beth Grove, and I am the European Director of the Founder Center for Apologetics. We are an organization based in London. We have a team of about 10 people. We are researchers, we're teachers, we are apologists, defenders of the Christian faith. We are polemicists, challengers of Islam, and we are wanting to ask critical questions of Islam. We ask historical critical questions of Islam. We also ask questions or probing questions on all sorts of theologies and doctrines and so on in the religion of Islam. Now, the area that I'm particularly interested in is women and the roles of women. Women, but I'm not looking at it from a pastoral side. I want to look at, at the whole idea of women in Islam um, as an apologist, as a Christian apologist, as a Christian who is asking probing questions and critiquing questions of this religion. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Quran itself. We're going to look at the claims of Muslims. We're going to uh, look at the internal debates uh, within Islam itself. We're going to look at how some of those uh, Muslims who are more progressive, how they look at their religion on, on this topic. We're going to look at the traditional views and we're going to do a comparison. And then we'll weave also Christian ideas through the talks as we go along. Now, we need to do this because there are some big claims out there made by Muslims. And one of the big claims, and I've heard this all the time as I interact with Muslims on a, on a weekly basis back in London, both in the homes of Muslims from many different countries, as well as a place at, uh, called Speaker's Corner, where a lot of us go down and we do debates with Muslim missionaries and seekers, Muslim seekers, seekers of other ideas. And we engage with Muslims in the public squares of London. And as we've talked with Muslims, it's really interesting to to hear some of the claims they make. And the big claim I keep hearing over and over again is that Islam ennobled the position of woman. And what they say is if you look at Islam before Muhammad came, before he came, and you look at the time of Jahiliya, the time of ignorance, as they call it, they say it was so horrendous for women before Islam. It was so horrendous for women before Muhammad came, the wonderful prophet that all of us must follow. This is what they say. And he is the example for all people, including for women, but in that a time of ignorance, when you compare and you look at what Islam did or what the Quran brought for women, and they do a comparison, they say, you see, Islam ennobled the position of woman. And so I, I heard this wherever I went. And it was when I listened to a documentary by a British news presenter in the United Kingdom. She was traveling through the Muslim world. And I was um, back in London in my flat, and I was listening to this uh, news presenter do uh, uh, interviewing uh, through Cairo, um, through Pakistan, and different countries of the Muslim world. And she was asking them what, their, what the Muslims' view was on women. And all of the people she was interviewing saying, oh, Muhammad is a, a role model for today, they kept 
saying, uh, Islam has brought me uh, uh, freedom and boldness and ennoblement as a woman. It has given me uh, identity. Uh, Islam protects me as a woman. And all these ideas out there that Islam brings down women are not true. And I was watching this and I'd been reading the Quran. I was learning the Quran at the time. I was probably in my early to mid twenties. And as I was reading the Quran, I thought, what these Muslims are claiming in Cairo and Pakistan and other countries and what this news presenter was claiming, it just was not reflected in this book. So I decided I needed to investigate it for myself. I didn't want to just hear what my dear Muslim friends were saying um, from many countries, Iran, uh, from Bangladesh, from Turkey and so on. I wanted to look into it for myself. So I began the investigation into the Quran and I did my master's studies looking at the roles and actually the debates within Islam itself on women. I didn't want to do a Christian degree. I wanted to do a degree that took what the, what the Muslim theologians themselves were saying, what the Muslim theologians were debating between themselves. And I wanted to investigate those debates um, and then be able to have just a much clearer picture of both the internal debates and then my own Christian response to it as I then took it out to the Muslim world. So what we're going to do um, primarily now is to look at the internal debates within Islam itself. We're going to look at some of the modernist ideas. We're going to look at some of the uh, more traditional ideas. We're going to do a comparison. And this would just be a really good beginning uh, foundational talk on understanding what is actually happening within Islam itself. And then perhaps we'll weave some of our own responses as we go through. Now, when you come to the whole huge topic of women in Islam, and remember, when I say women in Islam, I'm also thinking of men in Islam, because the way a man thinks of a woman impacts him as much as it impacts the woman. So, when, so let, but we're just for ease, say woman in Islam. When you look at women in Islam, it's very easy. The easiest way to approach it is to break it down into two camps. So I break it down into your modernist camp and into your traditionist camp. Now, of course, that, that is, is categorizing them a little bit too simply, but it's just a helpful approach when you look at Islam because it's such a vast topic. So we're really going to do a comparison between what we call the modernists. Some Muslims call themselves progressives. Others call themselves feminists. Now, I'm not a feminist, just to make that clear. However, I've studied the feminists of Islam. And it's some of their ideas that are very intriguing because if you look at the feminists of Islam, they dare to ask critiquing questions of their own religion. So we could look at the feminists, the modernists, progressives, those are different words that they throw out, and then your traditionalists. Now to simplify it even more, the easiest way to approach any religion on any topic, but especially this topic as well, is to look at um, how a Muslim interprets their religion. So Look at me as a Christian. As a Christian, how I interpret my religion is I go back to the Lord Jesus Christ. I go back to the New Testament. To know how to live today, I go back to the New Testament. I go back to the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Muslim, they must go back to the Quran. So I go back to the Bible. And for the Muslim, they go back to the Quran. They also go back to the life of Muhammad to really know how to live today as a Muslim. So what we're going to do is we're going to um, both look at the claims that are made by modernist, progressive Muslims, and we're going to see if they truly can uphold their more progressive ideas or the ideas that would assimilate, especially into a Western context very well, um, a very modern view of man and woman, uh, an almost more equality view of man and woman. We're going to see if it truly is upheld by this book, the Quran. And that is very helpful so that when you hear a Muslim make a big claim about their religion, 
Islam ennobled the position of woman. Muhammad brought about emancipation, i.e. the lifting of woman compared to the time of ignorance before Islam. When you hear those claims, what is, you simply do is you go back to this book, you read this book, you see what it says about woman and man, and you go back to the life of Muhammad, the Sirah Rasulullah, and you look at his biography and you see how Muhammad treated women, especially how he treated his wives. And we're going to look at, in detail at some of the stories of his wives, which is very troubling indeed to me as a Christian woman. So let's look at, so what, you, what we're going to do is look at the traditionalists and modernists. And one thing to remember with your modernists is this. They want to bring back into play, back into the modern era, a concept of ijtihad. Ijtihad is reasoning or reworking, rethinking, coming up with new ideas, uh, a new way to interpret the Quran. It's a concept that was forgotten in the 10th century in the early years of Islam, when Islamic law was put into place and there was very little freedom of thought or freedom to change your ideas or theology. And that kind of idea when it came to the, the theology of man and woman or the role of man and woman um, was set in stone really by the 10th century. And that's the, that traditional form of Islam, the traditional roles of man and woman that we see up into the modern era. And your modernist wants to say, oh, no, 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 we, we need to forget all those traditions. We need to even ignore some of the biography of Muhammad. We need to ignore the sayings of Muhammad, the hadith, the tafsir, which are the exegetes of the Quran and so on. We ignore all that and we just look at the spirit of the Quran. That's the opinion. That's how the modernists are reworking it. We look at the spirit of the Quran. We find the justice in the Quran. We find that really Allah um, had had women in mind when he when he revealed the Quran and all of these more pro-male anti-female ideas this is what the modernist says all those ideas we blame misogynistic pro-male anti-female interpretations of the Islamic uh, theologians and exegetes for the last 1400 years and also the modernists will say we blame we blame uh, male pro-male cultures but not the Quran the Quran is not at fault or even if the Quran has a few strange verses in there that are unhelpful for us today, we just see that's probably an, a male imposition on the text. But we reject all that. We look at the spirit of Islam and we see how Islam ennobled the position of woman. That's how the modernist Muslim woman interprets their religion. That's how they can try come to their conclusions. The problem for them is they are rejecting 1,400 years of history. They are ignoring a whole lot of uh, verses in here. Uh, one of my favorite uh, feminists is, uh, I'm, like I just qualify, I'm not a feminist, but I, I think they have interesting ideas when they look at Islam and they critique their own religion. And one of my favorite Muslim modernists is Amina Wadud. And she says of some verses of this book, the Quran, you simply say no to. That's how far the Muslim feminist, modernist, progressive Muslim has to go in order to try theologically show that Islam brought about ennoblement. You say no to some of these verses. And I find that very troubling as a Christian because we cannot do that when it's the God's word. You don't say no to God's word. But in order to uphold their position, that's what she, at least she, has to do, which means many others have to do as well. Now, many of these moderns have been called the enemies of Islam. So let's take a, 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 a very traditional, somewhat uh, radical Muslim, a well-known, especially in the Western world, Yusuf Qaradari. 
He is um, from Saudi Arabia. He is a cleric. He is well known. And uh, he has very traditional views on man and woman. And uh, he says that people like Amina Wudud are enemies of Islam. And that's the response. Because what men like him and women like him are doing, these are your more traditional Muslim. When we think of Muslim, it would be this kind of Muslim that we often think of. And he holds on to 1,400 years of tradition. He goes to the Sirat Rasulullah, the biography of Muhammad. He goes to the Tafsir, which are the exegetes of the Quran. That, that's very important for Muslims, or at least Sunni Muslims. Um, he goes to the Tafsir, which are the histories. He looks at the history of Islam, how the Quran was interpreted through the histories, and how it was applied through the history of Islam. He goes to, of course, the Quran. He goes to... Um, all uh, the, the, the Islamic law, all the genres of Islamic literature he goes to, including uh, the hadith, the sayings and the doings of Muhammad. And so they hold on to those genres of literature and they hold on to them as if they're almost, almost as if they're, they're divine. Now, we never say they're divine, but they almost hold on to them as if they were. And anyone who starts throwing them out begins to become an enemy of Islam. So you have this tug of war happening within Islam itself a massive tug of war. So how, what are these debates? What are they debating? What are the issues that uh, so many of our dear Muslim friends have? And it's very difficult for them. So for example, these modernist Muslim women and a few men in there that I've talked about are mostly educated in the West or they're influenced in the West. They are now, many of them have been kicked out of their countries and they now live in America and Britain and they work in the institutions of those countries. There is a group of Arab Muslim women on the rise trying to bring about this more progressive view into Islam. But not only are they against this history of tradition, this 1,400 years of history, they're against their own book. And I hope it will become very clear when we begin to actually look at their uh, theology, when we look at the verses that they claim bring about emancipation, i.e. the uh, freeing and uh, ennoblement of women. We're going to look at those verses, and I think... I think we're going to show, and I hope we're going to show very clearly, that they cannot um, support the modernist progressive position. So what areas do they debate? And um, how does it look like just in an average person's life? So when you meet a Muslim, how do you know if it's a progressive person? How do you know if it's a traditional person? You might think it's dress. And yet I've met many, many Muslim women who are dressed in uh, magnificent hijabs, the veil, uh, even some niqabs. So in the full purda or niqab where you just see the eyes, I've seen women um, in that and they have very modernist ideas. It's fascinating. So you have your modest Muslim woman who says, I don't need to wear hijab. You have your men say, I don't need to grow a beard. I can wear Western clothing. I don't need to wear all the robes. I can be a fully Westernized, uh, if you're in Britain, an Anglicized man. If you're in America, an American man. If you're living in the cosmopolitan cities and some of the Muslim world, um, in Cairo, for example, uh, you can be a modern Muslim man and so on. You don't have to look Muslim, i.e. the traditional uh, look of what we think a Muslim is. So they are just taking on modern culture and they're happy and they say it's Islamic. And the Muslim women and the Muslim women do that. Or, like I said, you can have the woman in full purda. Even I've met a woman in niqab or many women in niqab and they are very progressive in their ideas. So you can't always tell just by looking. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. 
And often you'll find, especially in my context back in London, I know it's not the same for many of you who will be watching this, but back in London in my context, you will find many Muslim women will say, I chose not to wear the hijab or I chose to wear the hijab. Islam doesn't impose it on me, it's my choice. But my question to them is always this. Yes, in the West, you can have the choice. But when I visited Iran, I wasn't allowed out of the house without a hijab on. I wasn't allowed out of the house unless I had a long coat on. So in that country, there was no choice. It was imposed on me as a non-Muslim. Now, I will never wear hijab. I will never wear a scarf because I'm not going to identify myself as a Muslim. And some Christians, unfortunately, make that mistake, thinking that they're identifying with Muslims. No, you're not identifying with Muslims. You're identifying with the ideology of Islam, and that is dangerous. And just at the very beginning, a little bit of a caveat, something that we must all remember, is that when we engage with Muslims, uh, we are engaging with the human being. The Muslim is the human being made in the image of God. The Muslim is the one we love. The Muslim is the one God died for. But it's the religion that we are critiquing. And everything I'm going to be doing is critiquing the religion. And I critique the religion because I love the Muslim. That's very important for us Christians to get that from the beginning. We critique, we expose this religion, we ask probing questions of our Muslim friends because we love Muslims. So we separate the person from the religion. We never attack the person. We only challenge the ideology, which is what we're going to be doing. So when you look at the big um, tension between traditionists and modernists, you'll find with your traditionists that um, often, and most of you may know this, but when you look at the traditionists and how it just works out in their life, the traditionist will live um, in a, 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 traditionally, will live in, in the home. A woman's role is seen in the context of home. A woman's role is seen as, as a mother and as a daughter and as a wife. That is how she is seen. In fact, what is fascinating, in Islam or across the board, a woman's identity is all to do with whether she's married or not, is to do with, uh, and of course there's no room to be single in Islam, even your modernist progressive Muslims believe that, there's no room for singleness as there is in the Bible. So you're married and you're, you're, you're a wife, you are a daughter, but in and of yourself, just as a woman, you don't get value, just as a woman that's not your identity. Your identity is as a wife, as a mother, um, and so on, as a sister, as a daughter. So it's how you are related within the home. Now, that can be a little bit of Eastern culture sometimes or Asian cultures, but it is actually almost Islamic theology. And as a Christian woman, compare that to Christianity, my value and my identity is because I am made in the image of God. I am a woman made in the image of God. That is my value. That is my identity. A Muslim does not have that. And that's an, a very powerful comparison that we can make with um, Muslims as we talk with them about these particular issues. Now, with the modernist Muslim, they believe that they can go out into the public sphere, they can become a politician, they can be, uh, they can, they can be in the business, they can be uh, 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 working alongside men, they can go to university. And so your modernist will step out of your traditional women's roles is in the home, they can step out of that, and they can also go to university. But often there's a little bit of a clause put on that. And there's a couple of sayings that some Muslims have said and say, Islam has always given women uh, open and free space to uh, progress and receive their full potential uh, in the home as wife, as mother, as daughter, as sister. 
And a lot of Western Muslim, uh, Western women, not Muslim women, Western women fall for this. They think, ooh, Islam gives me a lot of freedoms as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter, uh, as a sister. And it says she can, so she can reach her full potential. This is how Islam ennobled the woman. What they're missing as they listen to these claims by Muslims is that, hang on a minute, what did that claim say? It didn't say it gave her ennoblement or helped her reach her full potential, just potential, just as a woman. She reaches her full potential only within the confines of being in a family, not just for being a woman of God. Do you see the difference? That is very important because it means that as a Christian woman, I have intrinsic value, value at the core of my very being, because that's how God has made me. He died for me. I'm made in his image. I'm valuable, full stop. There's no clauses. There's no qualifications. I'm valuable. But for the Muslim woman, her value comes from her role in the home as a mother, as a sister, a daughter, and so on, especially as a wife and a mother. Take, for example, the whole concept of polygamy. Surah 4.3, Surah 4.24. Surah 4.3, a man can marry up to four wives. It says he must treat them equally. Later on in the chapter, it says that if you can't treat all wives equally, but still it was practiced by Muhammad and his companions. And so you have, uh, you have uh, Muhammad and, and his companions, and then, of course, the Quran teaching that you can take on four wives. And in all the Muslim homes I've been in, in the traditional homes, not your modern, in your traditional homes that I visit, the Afghani homes that I visit, the Bengali homes that I visit, um, Pakistani, Pakistan, Pakistani friends that I visit, and so on. When I'm in their homes, and they, these are the more traditional Muslims, it's fascinating to see, and they've told me this, and I, I've had that a couple times in their homes, as, particularly with one family, and they say, Betty, if my wife can't have a baby, I would just take on another wife, because it's more important that I have a child. And I think the heartbreak for the woman who, whose identity and value has just been rejected just because she hasn't fulfilled her potential in Islam. Um, you have others who say if they're not happy with the wife, they'll take another one on. Again, this woman is not valuable just in the whole concept of marriage in Islam. So this whole idea that a woman is only valuable if she has children or she's a wife and so on is only seen, um, is really played out um, in very sad and very difficult situations in the Muslim homes. Now, hold on to that. We're going to address that much later on, um, further on in the series. But what I want to look at a little bit is how does it play out just in the practical realm, the, the traditionist, the modernist tug of war? Well, you're going to have your rural traditionists. They're the ones that many Christians are working with, not very educated women, village women. They're fairly easy on the whole to share your faith with. It may take time to um, bring them into Christ and bring them out of this deep, um, steeped in superstitions and so on. And so it can be quite hard to draw them out of their animistic, almost pagan uh, rituals that they do, because of course for the um, uneducated women living out on the mountains of Turkey and so on, uh, they will often bring in a lot of what we call folk Islamic practices, a lot of superstitions, a lot of fears, um, the evil eye you'll see hanging around their neck and on the walls as you go to their houses, Quranic verse high up on the walls, and they, I had one friend who was getting married. Suddenly, I was in her kitchen, and the, the kitchen filled up with smoke, and I thought, what's going on? And it was because the mother was throwing herbs onto, onto the fire, uh, and she was saying Islamic incantations over these herbs to protect her daughter from the, from the evil spirits, or what they call jinn, as she was to enter into the marriage. And I just was praying in Jesus' name as this was happening, 
Um, but I do, I, I know that um, when she uh, finally got married and she actually has moved to America, she's living inside America this last years and having a difficult time because it's not her culture. And unfortunately, um, for those first six months, uh, because she hasn't surrendered her life to the Lord Jesus, for those first six months of her marriage, she was under demonic oppression. It was, it was very painful to hear this when I met with her when she came back to the UK. So in the rural woman will have these kind of superstitions and live in the homes and really follow where the man takes her. Your educated Muslim woman will then be university educated. They could be quite radical in their, in their view of jihad, but very modern in their view of man and woman. And, um, and there's a difference between your rural and your educated traditionalist. And then you have your modernist who look just like the Western woman or the very educated woman from the cosmopolitan cities of the Muslim world. So we're going to just wrap this little, con- little, to- little topic here up. But what I want to show is, do you see there's a tension in this religion? There's a tug of war in this religion. You have on the one side Muslim women living in Cairo, living in parts of Lebanon, living in, um, uh, of course, in the West, and living in um, really sophisticated cities of the Muslim world. They see the freedoms of women. They want to be free. They want to be equal. They want to be in the workforce. They want to be politicians. They want to uh, live alongside men and be free to, to uh, be, participate in the public sphere, the public realm of life as anyone else, and certainly alongside men. And this is what I say to a woman like that. I say, that's fascinating. It's fascinating that you want those freedoms. It's fascinating that you want to be seen as equal and valuable and valuable in sight of God and valuable in the sight of men and valuable just as you as a woman. But the only way you can find that is in this book here. This book and in the, in the way the Lord Jesus Christ treated women, the way he responded to women, the way he saw women as his friends, how he treated them as equals, actually, in his humanity. It's this book that brings about what the modernist Muslim woman is saying is, is generations of misogynistic pro-male and anti-female ideas. And so they blame it on culture, but I blame it on this book. I blame it on this book. This is the Quran, and it's this book, and it's the life of Muhammad, and it is his example in his hadith, in his sayings, in the stories of how he even got his wives, which we're also going to look into. It's when you look at how Muhammad was and how he treated women and what this book says, that's what brings about these misogynistic ideas of 1,400 years, these pro-male ideas and these anti-female ideas. Now, I just want to be very clear. I'm (laughs) pro-male. I'm pro-female. I'm pro-everyone because we're made in the image of God. But you understand what I'm saying, that this book only favors the man. This book favors us all because it had God who came and died for every human being, male or female. And all of us one day, male or female, are going to stand with God himself side by side, completely valuable and precious in the sight of God. That's the difference between Islam and Christianity. So when your Muslim friend, your modernist makes a claim of ennoblement of women in Islam and your traditionist makes a claim of ennoblement in Islam, but it looks very different, you say, actually, what you're looking for is this book here. You don't find it in this book, the Quran. You find it in this book, the Bible. Just take them back to the Bible and the example of Jesus. And there you will see the wonderful, real contrast. That's where the debate begins. But it's this debate that wins. It's this book that wins.